Welcome to the Tailored Life Podcast, the one and only fitness and nutrition podcast that goes way beyond just training and nutrition. I am your host, Cody McBroom, and with me I have my co-host, Travis McQueen. And today we have a Q&A. And I, my, my, my voice might give out by the end of it. Yeah. It's, it's, dude, it's pretty bad. Talked on the phone for a while yesterday. Yeah, I talked on, on the phone a lot. But big phone guy. Huge <laughs> phone guy. But clients love it. Those, man, like, it's one of those ones where, like, when I, when I sat down before we went out to film and train, I literally was like, I don't want to train. Yeah. Like, I'm so exhausted. It's weird because it's I'm not doing anything physical, I'm just talking. But, like, it literally takes so much out of me. For sure. But once, I don't know what it was, man, but, like, maybe it was Nas playing in the background. But uh, yesterday's training session was sick. Mm-hmm. I, I, like, halfway through, I was like, I'm fucking feeling it, dude. Like, this is a good session. Um, and when you feel like that and you know you have to train legs, it's like, fuck, I don't want to train legs right now. It was hot. It was hot, though, yesterday. It was very hot. Yeah. Sometimes that actually makes it better yeah. for me because uh, being hot and sweaty, your joints just feel, they feel better. You know, when it's cold. Burn more calories, dude. <laughs> straight through the sweat <laughs> but uh which is funny because i uh i had somebody who was like who canceled the train training app mm-hmm. and they were like i'm gonna join this app called sweat and i was like oh my god i hate this app already yeah because it's called sweat yeah um and their marketing was very much like sweat it out basically sweat it out sweat it yeah. sweat it out every day kind of thing and i was just like god damn it um i don't know what their workouts look like so it's not bad and and for some people like our app's not the best fit because it's strength training. I mean, there's conditioning in there, but it's it's meant to it's meant for lifting weights. Like it's mm-hmm. not circuit training and, and stuff. So some people do need that because that's where they're at, and that's fine. But it was just ironic because the sweat thing we talked about all the time. I was like, fuck, yeah, not sweat. Any any other name, but uh, but no, like I think I think it just makes your joints feel better. Can't but hate it. can't hate them that they got the word sweat though for an app. Yeah, I, I mean <laughs> it's, business. It's smart. Yeah. yeah, from a business perspective, I mean it's clickbait. Yeah, you know that's fucking smart. But yeah. it's uh, but yeah, no, I was I was drained yesterday, man. But it always I always sit back. Like last night, I went home and um, the girls were all outside playing with water and shit. So I like sat inside in the AC because I was fucking so hot and just sat there for a second was thinking about the calls and you always have so many insights you know what I mean just from hearing different people talk about different things yeah really cool I talked to a marine yesterday I talked to uh, a mother of three yesterday I talked to that group of guys yesterday like it's just so many different perspectives and on so many different topics yeah so many different journeys exactly Um, it's just cool it makes you it makes you fucking think and ponder and then too like uh his name was Dow, the dude that showed up at the gym on Monday. He came for giant lifting, remember? Yeah, Monday. Yeah, I mean, he's following our stuff now, so <clears> maybe he'll listen to this and yeah. give a shout-out. But that was pretty fucking cool. Yeah. He shows up, and he's like, damn, giant lifting's closed. I wanted to pick up some weights, but it's Memorial Day. Sees us lifting, and he's like, what the hell do you do? And I started talking to him, and he's like, man, this is exact." His friend was even like, dude, this is exactly what you've been like. Talking about. Yeah, like not dreaming about it. He yeah. didn't say dreaming, but basically like this is what you want to do. So I was just like letting him pick my brain, tell him a bunch of stuff. I was like, dude, ask, follow me and ask me any question you want. Um, I'm seeing if, cause like I've, in my past, I've ran into situations like that and I've purposely like utilize, like somebody opens the door of conversation mm-hmm. when I was young in the game. I'm like, I'm fucking using that totally because I want you to remember me. I want you to help guide me. So I'm interested to see if I kind of want him to go out of his way. Cause it's like, I want to help the dude, yeah. you know, cause he has a, a journey of fitness he wants to accomplish and he, just cool yeah. you know not it's not every once every like uh it's very rare that you're gonna walk by in a warehouse complex where there's 
very unlikely to have a gym, yeah. let alone a private gym owned by somebody who runs an online coaching company, which is exactly what you want to do. Like, what are the, that's so, what's the word, serendipitous? Like, that's so. Coincidental? It's kind of like serendip- serendipitous yeah. is very like that. Like, uh, um, serendipity, <laughs> I believe, unless I'm completely wrong, is like, um, what are the chances, you, you know, go. like th- this, this, like the universe just put this right in front yeah, of me yeah, kind yeah. of thing, you know? Um, Did but, you get his Instagram? Yeah. Yeah. It was actually funny too because he, he started following me, so I followed him back. And I was like, oh, this dude played soccer because he had like college soccer. He must have just mm. graduated college. Um, and then he had pictures of him uh, rollerblading, like at a skate park with like razors on, mm. which was funny because I only skated razors and I used to skate back in the day, yeah. you know? And I was like, I was pretty filthy before I skateboarded. Like when rollerblading was really lame all of a sudden, yeah. my brother made me feel really, really lame for <laughs> rollerblading. Instead of skateboarding? Yeah, so I started skateboarding. But I was like, oh, this dude's got a little bit in common with me. Dope, yeah. But solid week, man. And now tomorrow, uh, as we're recording this, we got the whole fucking team coming. Yeah. Almost the whole team. Not everybody, yep. unfortunately. But I'm stoked to see everybody. It's going to be sick. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be sick. I'm so excited. I'm pumped. It's going to be good. I'm yeah. excited to, to like, just uh, mind map, I guess you yeah. could call it. Get the whiteboard out. Just talk to everybody. Yeah. Instead of over Zoom. Connect. You connect. There yeah. you go. I'm yeah. excited. If everybody's listening, I'm excited to hug you. <laughs> I'm a hugger. Yeah. I, after um, we quarantined for a month uh, recently when we had to, uh, you came in. I was like, give me a hug, man. Yeah. I haven't touched you in a while. Yeah. That sounds weird. Yeah. But I was like, I haven't hugged you in a long time. Yeah. I told Justin that. She was like, what? Yeah. I was hugger, like, man. dude, he just... Yeah, that was it. so funny. You're like threw me so off guard. <laughs> I'm like, uh, and then when you told me, I was like, touche. Yeah, it's been a while, man. Yeah, I haven't touched anybody except my daughter and my wife in yeah. a long time. Yeah, dap everybody up. <laughs> Excited, dope, man. All right, let's uh, get into the questions. We got a lot of them today. See how many we can get through in the uh, hour or so we want to utilize. So the first one we got is from Kay Walowski. Says, "How do you coach a client who?" isn't being honest about their nutrition. So you could take this question in a diff- couple different ways. Yeah. How do you coach them? How do you help them? How do you yeah. manipulate them? <laughs> uh, and you know what? Like manipulate is a very negative. Con- I uh, mean, it, it has a very ne- negative condensation. You, of it, go, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, but, but at the same time. For their own good. Yeah. But you can manipulate people for the positive reason. Um, you know, so it's like, because uh, there's even like, have you ever heard of NLP? <clears throat> I mean, I think it neuro linguistic. No, absolutely not. <laughs> Nobody says the full thing, but it's it's just, Tony Robbins is really big on this, mm. and uh, and some other marketers and stuff. But this is what the FBI uses essentially for uh, finding serial killers. I assume I don't know. Wow, but, okay. um, interrogation and stuff yep. like that. See, now it sounds like I'm really manipulating people yeah. <laughs> to yeah. buy our product. But the the reason I bring that up is because NLP is a way. It's kind of like a way to, it's neuro-linguistic programming. So how can I direct a conversation to program you to think a certain way, essentially, right? Um, or better understand you so I can talk in your language. There you go. And it sounds very manipulative, but if I'm doing that to direct you in a route that's going to positively benefit your life, right? Or if you have a specific goal that you have doubt, you don't think you can achieve, and you're on the fence about investing in because it costs financial and, and time-wise money commitment. and commitment, Yeah, I need to, to program you to think differently. Otherwise, you're never going to reach your goal. You're never going to be healthier. You're never going to be leaner. You're never going to feel better. So um, sometimes manipulating is actually used for a positive thing. In this situation, you kind of got to do some of that. And I think it's 
there's a there's a few sides of it. Number one, if if you're truly if you're a great coach, you're very transparent, you're very authentic, you're very open to conversation, um, and you're not afraid to kind of tiptoe on the line. Um, I sent an email to a client this week, and she probably listened and know exactly what I'm talking about. But I literally was like, I apologize if I'm stepping over the line with this, but it like I can't not say something, and so like, here's my thoughts. Mm. You know what I mean? And essentially I went into a, a long drawn out conversation of like emotional stuff, um, that I thought she might've been dealing with. And she was like, you're not stepping over the line at all. This helps blah, blah, blah. It was perfect. Right. Uh, but I need to have the courage to be like, this is a kind of a deep conversation. This is kind of outside the scope of nutrition and training, but I have to go down this route. Or she's not going to, She's not going to be able to reach her goal or trust me with the things she needs to tell me. Two reach your goals. Exactly. So in this situation, if somebody's not being honest, it may be because I'm not creating an environment that she feels or he feels they can be honest with me about things, right? So in a sense, it's up to you to create an honest and open environment, open the door for conversation and communication so that they feel okay telling you things, right? Build Uh, that trust. Build the trust, right? Um, And that starts by building relationship, talking about things outside of training and nutrition, getting to know them, letting them get to know you, telling them about your screw-ups along your journey in multiple areas because that's how they learn. And and then they see you being vulnerable, so they feel like they can be vulnerable. And that's just a part of coaching, right? Um, The other aspect of it is is kind of peeling the onion, asking the right questions, you know? So digging a little bit deeper and asking why in different ways, asking if it relates to anything, asking about stress, asking about emotional things. Being okay with kind of prodding and prodding and prodding to get them to answer the question they need to answer, okay. right? It's not that you have the answer to their solution, but sometimes they need it to, to answer it for you. Or like if you know they're not being honest and they're not admitting it, you need to ask the right questions to where there's no way they can lie to you. Totally. You know what I mean? Like um, lay out the facts, lay out the proof, extract the proof, get the proof from them get pictures of their meals, get written logs, like ask them questions. At a certain point, you may even need to get on the phone with them, get on a FaceTime or a Zoom call, then ask them the questions. Maybe even like go, I mean, essentially, if your services don't even, if if, you're, if that's not included in your services, go above and beyond of what your services require to help, you know, help this person out. Exactly, yeah. yeah. You know and, what I mean by that? Like, yeah, 100%. If you don't, if you don't include two phone calls a week, maybe like for that person, you feel. Do it. Yeah. You know, like, and that's, that's where like people ask us about phone calls and this, we don't That's have also what puts you above others. Exactly. And we don't have structured calls at certain times. We just do them when they're necessary for who they're necessary for. And totally. there's no frequency that's too little or too much. It depends yeah. on the person. You know, yeah. if we need to get on a call, we got to get on a call. Vice you know? versa. Some people don't want to have those calls that frequently. Some people do, you know? Yeah, exactly. Um, so getting on the, the phone with them, looking them in the eye and then asking them, Hey, like, how are you weighing your food? How are you tracking? How are you doing these things? Yeah. Um, they're not going to look you in the eye and lie to you. They might lie on paper or via email or in their MyFitnessPal app, but they're not going to look you in the eye and straight up lie to you. I highly doubt it. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, I, I think that if they are going to lie to you face to face, they're not even going to get on that call. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> They'll avoid the call. Yeah. Um, and then you can just be honest. Be like, hey, look, like it, it's hard to be transparent with this stuff. It's not easy to be on point. I'm just here to help you. Yeah. So like if, if you're not doing that, that's okay. There's no judgment here, but. And that's another thing, creating an honest environment, create a non-judgment environment. If you're, you're like toting your shit about like how perfect you are and how spot on you are with everything, you're not being vulnerable about your mistakes, how the fuck are they going to feel okay admitting their mistakes if you're this perfect model of a macro tracker and physique athlete? You know what I mean? It's just, 
It's not going to happen. They're yeah. comparing themselves to you and they feel bad and guilty when they fuck up. But the reality is we all fuck up. Yep. And if you're a real human being that's coaching, you're, you're not perfect. Or, um, or a gin pop is not, can't be, not, yeah. not going to be, but can't be set to the same standards as somebody that lives in the gym. Yeah. yeah. And even me, like I screw up to this day, but I screw up far less than the average person. Yeah. Why is that? Because I'm doing it for 10 years. Yeah. So I don't share, I share more of my past fuck ups than I do my current because there is more in my past than yeah, there is yeah, now. Yeah. I've learned how to navigate it now. Um, but it all comes back to the, just that trustworthy, honest environment. That's mm. really all it is. You know what I mean? Um, that and, uh, asking the right questions. I mean, if you do those two things, I think that's it, man. You gotta, you gotta teach people how to be more coachable and open with you. Um, and, and remind them why they're doing what they're doing. Because at the end of the day, if they're going to lie to you, they just don't want it bad enough. So sometimes you gotta be like, Hey, what are we doing here? Yeah. What are we after? Get why? them to talk about their goals. Why? Why, why are we here? Why are you, you, know I mean? why are you paying me? Why are you paying me? And why, if you really want that goal, why are you struggling to do these things? Yeah. Is it because you don't actually want that as bad as you think you do? Because a lot of times people set goals because others influence those goals, right? They want to get ripped because they want to be judged or seen a certain way by other people. If you eliminate that, you find out that their goal isn't getting ripped. Their goal has something else to do with performance or strength or health or um, their sex drive or something completely different. When you find the actual goal, or just teach them how to find out the root why behind their goal, yeah. then all of a sudden it's way easier to be adherent because they know why they're doing things. For themselves. For themselves. Yeah. You know, it's not about other people. Yeah. So I think it all comes totally. back to that, that, the circle of trust. Yeah. Love it, man. All right, let's go to uh, question two. Um, we got from... Diana K. Chi. Uh, best ways to hold yourself accountable. I keep falling off track with macros. and I'm also in a cut. The best ways. Give us the quickest top three ways to keep yourself accountable. Public accountability is number one. Yeah. Um, it does in, involve other people, but it is keeping yourself accountable. Because at the end of the day, like a coach is going to be the best way to keep you accountable. Because it's an external person that you are paying, so you have money keeping you accountable, and you have somebody you respect checking in with you, keeping you accountable. There's, there's no form of accountability that's better than a coach. But if you can't afford a coach and you have to do it yourself, the next best thing is to use the people around you. Totally. So tell your friends, tell your family, tell your social media, tell anybody that is listening or that will see you say something. Tell them what you're doing, what your goal is, what you're after, because once it's in the universe, it becomes a real fucking thing, and you're going to work way harder to get it. Yeah. You have something to add to that? I, depending on the severity of how bad you want it. Like, I, I don't think that, depending on how bad you want it, I don't think that if you, you want it the absolute most, I don't know what the definition of the absolute most is, but if you truly are, like, sacrificing everything, you want this, I don't think putting it on social media is the best accountability. I don't. I think like one on one or personal or verbally to someone that you know actually cares for you. I, I get so advertising it, but so in this, th let me let me. I think where you're going is me going. Hey, Travis, this is literally what I'm going to achieve. I'm saying on social media, I'm not saying, hey guys, these are my goals. It's I tell you my goal, and my goal requires me to do journaling every day. So I'm going to take a picture of me journaling on my story all the fucking time because I want people to see I'm me developing these habits. That is accountability it, for doing it, yeah. the things required. You don't necessarily got to spill the beans of like what you're really trying to go achieve. And yeah. you're, you know what I mean? Like on social media, yeah. but you do got to tell somebody. Yeah. Yeah, you know? yeah. yeah, And and sometimes it's, it can be vague, right? 
I share things on this podcast all the fucking time. I've said this before too. I share things all the time about aspirations, levels, things we want to create, things we want to build. And it's pretty vague. I don't get super nitty gritty of like exactly what we're doing, but I kind of say broadly, like we're going to do this because it's accountability. If I say it on this podcast, I'm going to do it. I know it because there's thousands of people listening to this and they're expecting me to do it. And even if they forget, in my mind, they're expecting me yeah, to do yeah, it. Yeah. So I better fucking hold my weight. Totally. Um, and then the other side of that too is like, you got to think about it like this. If, if I truly do want something so bad and public accountability is the best way for me to stay consistent with it, I will tell anybody, everybody, it doesn't matter. Because the judgment of others matters less to me than me accomplishing that goal. There we go. You know what I mean? Because I think if I have hesitation and I don't want to do it, then I don't really want it that bad because I care more about what these people think than I do about that goal, which isn't necessarily a bad thing because sometimes we set goals for the wrong reasons, right? And I do care what you think about me. I care about what my family thinks about me. I care about what my best friends think about me. Yeah. You know what I mean? There's certain people I don't give a shit about what they think about me, but if I'm extremely hesitant to put it out there, it's either because I truly don't believe in myself mm-hmm. or I don't care that much about accomplishing it, which is also something to think about because if you don't care that much about accomplishing it, admit that, set a goal that you really give a shit about yeah. and put your effort and focus into that instead of stressing about how you can't accomplish this thing you or really don't, don't even care about. Yeah, don't want to. Yeah. I think also some people set, I mean, maybe they don't, but I believe this is true, that people set goals for the wrong reasons. And people, I hate to say this, but achieve those goals and sh- or and or strive to achieve those goals for the wrong reason. Mm-hmm. Like that motivation is there because of the judgment of others, and they're gonna get that goal because people are judging, or they think that people are judging them way that way, or they are. But they're striving for that goal, and they are going to conquer that goal for the wrong reason. Yep, hundred percent. That's like a weird motivation some people have. Yeah, but. I think that there's, there, I mean, if we look out of, at, out of despite, there's, there's two types of people. There's, uh, if there's, so if there's people who, if I have to accomplish this in order for this person to respect me or, or judge me positively, I don't even want that person in my life. I don't give a shit. You know what I mean? Yeah, so it's a e- really good point. It's either the situation where you're worried about the judgment of the others and they really will judge you. And that means they're really not a good person to be in your life. Or it's a story you're creating in your head. And that person doesn't care whether you accomplish or not. They just care that you're happy. So them judging you is irrelevant. That's a story in your head. You're assuming these people are going to judge you over these things, but they're not. Or assuming they already are. Yeah. It, it's assuming. Yeah. Agreed. They either aren't and they're good people in your life or they are and they're not good people in yeah, your yeah, life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because the good people in your life want you to succeed. They're going to push you to succeed. They're going to root you up, but they're not going to not like you or judge you differently for failing, especially if they weren't trying to do the same thing. True. Because <laughs> they can't say shit. But... This is, I said this in the same email to the same person I was just talking about earlier, and I've said this to multiple people, and it's a quote I stole from somebody else. I don't remember who said it originally, but the, the quote was, uh, achieving abs, like getting lean enough to see your abs, won't create happiness, but finding happiness, or no, it was uh, abs aren't the path to happiness, but happiness is a faster path to abs. And the whole point of that is, is if I'm chasing getting shredded constantly because I think that's going to make me happy, it's usually because I want people around me to perceive me a certain way. Nobody gives a shit what my abs look like. Realistically, they don't. The only people that care a little bit are people who don't realize they care, and it's because it's going to get their attention more on social media, mm-hmm. and their perception of me will be a healthier or more fit person because of my abs, that kind of thing, right? But they don't even realize that. That's just marketing. You see something like that, and you're like, oh, they must know what they're doing because they have abs, which yeah. isn't always the case. But um, everybody else... 
nobody gives a shit what's under my shirt. Yeah. Realistically, they don't at all. It's just me. So if I assume I'm going to be fulfilled and happy by getting lean enough to have the abs, I got to ask backwards. Instead, accept your body, be happy, chase health. Then you'll be happy and content in the journey. You'll be more consistent. You won't have urges to binge, any of those things. And you're more likely to achieve abs because you're doing it for the right reason. You're getting healthy and lean because you want to be healthy and lean and feel good. Not because you want people to look at you a certain way. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, And it doesn't mean you can't strive to get abs because that's what we do for a living. I'm striving to get abs right now. But it has nothing to do with what people will see in me. I'll use it for marketing. It works great. I've done it every time I do a photo shoot. It's like, of course. But at the same time, like, I'm doing it because I like living a little bit leaner than I am right now. And I went through the bulk and it's just time to do that. So um, pertaining to the question, uh, which was... Um, best ways to hold yourself accountable right public accountability that was number one <laughs> good god um, that was a good little side <laughs> no for though. sure yeah um, okay. I just didn't realize that was only one <laughs> <laughs> so public accountability is number one um, number two um, I think having some kind of uh, habit tracking system some kind of dopamine system which dopamine is uh, a neurotransmitter kind of a chemical reaction in your mind that essentially is it's, a re- it's, a, it's part of the reward center in your brain yeah, if you achieve something you get a like on Instagram, you get a little dopamine kick. feels <laughs> good. And, and that's the sad part of yeah. dopamine. Yeah. Um, for smokers, smoke a cigarette, you get a dopamine kick. Anybody with any type of addiction, they're addicted to the dopamine kick and response they get. That's why nicotine gum works well because it gives you that dopamine kick without having to smoke cigarettes. It's an easy way to get out of smoking cigarettes. Um, habit trackers, where you're checking off boxes. There's a dopamine response. When you do, this is why, I mean, you see me, I love checking things off my boxes mm-hmm. because if I have a to-do list and I ch- mark them in red ink, that's, I get a dopamine kick every time I accomplish something. It's like, it's, it's so simple, mm-hmm. but it's, it's a reward. Um, the, the red X's on the calendar is the same thing with that. Like every time you, you finish your day achieving your habit, you put red X on the calendar, right? You get a dopamine kick every time. Um, it's a reward. So doing that is going to keep you accountable. Having some kind of habit tracking system that allows you to get that dopamine response every time you do good, you accomplish the task. Um, and this even works in, in ways, uh, this is another client example for a different client that, that we're actually talking about right now, trying to figure out a dopamine response to eliminate the current dopamine response. And that sounds weird, but if somebody is struggling to adhere to their diet and they binge on the weekends or they have a cheat meal or they go over their calories or they, they eat too much sugar. They're doing those things because they get a little stressed out or they have an emotional thing or it's a hunger response, whatever. But as soon as they get a taste of that, they get that dopamine response. It's a sedation tool. It's why people go to food when they're sad. If you're addicted to drugs or alcohol or sex or porn or whatever, that's where you go, yeah. right? Um, I got a dopamine response. I still kind of do, to be honest with you, from work. So, like, if I'm stressed or struggling or in a bad place or in a fight uh, with my wife or anything, I'll go up in the office and work and create infographics, just anything, dude. It's just, like, because I can control that, and it gives me instant feedback of, like, you're doing good, buddy. Yeah. Give me a pat on the back. You yeah. know what I mean? So, I want that response. Yeah. I really um, love that. That's a dopamine for you. It is. I mean, it's for a, my sake. It's, <laughs> it's a positive one. That's dope. <laughs> but, I mean, like, uh, people talk about runner's high. Yeah. I will never understand runner's high because I run for five minutes and I'm like, I hate this. You're also not them. I'm not them. I don't get a dopamine response from it. You know what I mean? Some people get that runner's high. And so when they're stressed, what do they do? They They go on a run. And some of them just don't stop. That's the same thing as going to the gym. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. A A lot of people have that. That's what, before I was an entrepreneur, that's what it was for me. Let's go work out. You know what I mean? Go do push-ups, go run hill sprints, anything. That's so weird. Everybody has a different one. Yep. 
Um, and for somebody like me, like I used to party a lot and, you know, smoke weed and do stuff like that. And those were my dopamine response. So for me, it was like working out was my healthy way of doing that. And so I was able to eliminate all that stuff. And I, you know, I drink once a week or whatever, but I was able to do these healthier ways, which can also lead to a bad relationship with working out or food or, or dieting or burnout because you're training too hard. But totally. the point being is in the situation where let's say you, you turn to food and you overeat because that's your, your rewards is that's your way of feeling better and your sedation tool to give you that dopamine response is like fuck this i'm gonna have a donut so if it's like a fuck this that's not a reward it's not a reward but it's part of the reward center of your brain so the chemical and this is that i'm getting there so um i always call it a positive addiction so a positive addiction would be the habit tracker right so like in a sense like this is a very simplistic way of looking at it but if you are in a bad place and you seek a donut to give you that dopamine kick because it essentially, it's a sedation, so it makes you feel better. It's the same feeling, chemically speaking, in your brain as a reward. What can you do to reward yourself for not taking the donut, right? So not having the donut requires more discipline, more willpower, more sacrifice, right, and grit. What can you do instead? Maybe it's chug a glass of water and go on a walk and then check off a box that you fought the urge again. But when you check off that box because you just did a 10-minute walk and chug a glass of water instead of taking the donut or the cookie or whatever, you get a dopamine response for that. Now you're creating a positive addiction loop totally. to something that allows you to stick to your goals. And eventually, you just don't do that. Instead, you just have a daily habit of chugging glass of water and going on a walk and checking off a box. It sounds simple, but once you can do it once and you can kind of trick your brain, then all of a sudden it becomes more positive. In the past, we would do this with things like that, but we wouldn't tell them what's going on. We would just say, hey, like, hey, like, if you get that urge, all I want you to do is go on a walk, chug a glass of water. If you still feel like you need that donut, go have the donut. But if you don't, check off this red box. And we're just going to see how many times we can do that. Once they see three in a row, they don't want to fucking break that streak because yeah. they get a dopamine response yeah. from the, ki- the consistency, right? And now you're like, fuck yeah, I'm going to knock out 30 days. Set up a reward for yourself at the end of 30 days. I'm going to buy a new pair of jeans, new belt, new shirt, whole new outfit because I'm 10 pounds lighter. Yeah. You know what I mean? So now, if, at, at the end of the day, now I just tell people like, hey, this is actually what's happening yeah. hormonally and neurologically speaking. Like we're creating this positive dopamine response. But you can do this with anything. It's like, I want to make more money. Okay. What habits, actions, tasks, strategies, what do you need to do to make more money, build your business, whatever? You list out five things. Okay, cool. You're going to do those five things every fucking day and you're going to check off a box every time you do it. Now you have a positive addiction to just crushing shit, right? And they become habits. Now they're easy. Now you're making more money and it's not, it's simple. Your business is growing and you don't even have to think twice about it because they're habits. You've done them long enough. Um, so that would be number two, that, that positive, I mean, fuck dude, this, this question could be a whole podcast. Yeah. This is a really good one. <laughs> um, so public accountability and then the positive addiction loop. So the, the dopamine kick. You want to um, give one more? Yeah. I, I, I'm going to try to think of one because, and this is where like, I think like well, we, we just, We've talked about this a lot, but this is what separates good coaches from great coaches. Great coaches, coaches, (laughs) uh, good coaches, no macros, Mm. right? Great coaches, no macros, and how the fuck this person thinks and acts and and what their brain is telling them to do, whether they like it or not. How do we change these these cues and these signals that are already programmed in their brain? How do we rewire them to do these things? Doing more. Doing more. They go above and beyond. Yeah. You know, like this podcast is the podcast that goes beyond training and nutrition. Yeah. It's the whole point. It's a yeah. coaching company that goes beyond coaching or training and nutrition that becomes great coaches. Yeah. Um, 
It's hard to say another one, man. If you do those two things, I mean, you're just crushing let's, it. Let's keep it at two. Yeah, I think two is fine. We, got, we had a lot of questions. Yeah, I don't think I can even add anything. You prepared for a podcast on uh, being accountable yeah. in the near future. Yeah, no shit. <laughs> All right, love it, man. Um, let's uh, do a third one here from Jenny Fresh. Is there a reason to slowly reverse to maintenance if you are roughly if you roughly know your maintenance calories? Is there a reason to slowly reverse to maintenance if you roughly know your maintenance calories? Yeah. Because um, I think she's meaning that because typically you reverse to find your maintenance calories, mm. right? You go into a deficit and you diet, and then now you have a new quote-unquote maintenance because you've dieted down and your metabolism has adapted a little bit. At that point, I think the best thing to do is to reverse so that you can find your new maintenance. What I would say here is that if you already know what your new maintenance is, I would probably just either reverse right to that or you can go slowly. I think this is where it differs. Like if you really, but here's the thing is you really don't know. There you go. That's the thing is like, I was thinking you just said slowly, but do if you think, you know, you know, and correct me if I'm I'm not, no, but if you think, you know, and you go slowly, then you, you will uh, validate if you are exactly. Yeah. So what you think you know is your North Star, right? North Star gives you a direction. It doesn't tell you the actual ending destination. You, you, the calorie amount you think it is, it's your North Star? Exactly. There you go. Okay. So my, and, and I relate things to business because it's just easy to understand for a lot of people, but my five-year goals and plans for this company, that's my North Star. What I write out, are we going to be exactly there? Probably not because things are going to change in the next five years. For, you know, it, it's not going to be better or worse. It's just going to be slightly different. You mm. can't predict the exact future. You can have a really good idea of where you're headed. And I know that I'm going north, right? Yeah. But it's, that's like, we're heading into Seattle. Okay. Are you going to Fremont? Are you going to Ballard? Are you going to Queen Anne? Are you going to Capitol Hill? Like, there's, Seattle's, there's yeah. a lot of things going on. It's yeah. not the, I mean, it's a big city, but. Yeah. Um, so your North Star is kind of where you think, because at the end of the day, you know, even if you were once there or you, you predicted that like, okay, I started at 2000 calories. I lost this much weight. So I, my predicted new maintenance is 1800. That's a good, a guess and good prediction and calculation. But, but let's make sure. Yeah. Let's make sure because your metabolism is dynamic yeah. and very mysterious. You can't predict it perfectly. So regardless, I think that just tells you, okay, I'm reversing up to 1800, I think. And you just start working up towards there. Um, you know, the recovery diet became really popular and that's the way that you just go, okay, my, my, Maintenance calories are 1,800. I'm just going to jump right there because my biofeedback's bad in this diet. I need to get there. But I think the, the better way to do it is for most people, for anybody who's not a competitor here, because the recovery diet was built for bodybuilding and bikini competitors. So you need to do that because you get so lean that you're in an unhealthy position and we need to get you right up there. And you actually need to, the point of a recovery diet is to get up there quick and actually gain a little bit of body fat. Mm. Most gym pop people to come to us, they don't get so lean that we're like, we need to gain some fat. We're like, fuck it, let's sustain this because you're happy here and you're healthy. Your biofeedback's not bad, so let's just stay here. So for them, it's either my North Star's 18. Okay, cool. I'm going to go right to 1650 and then I'm going to inch up to 18, right? I'm going to take a big jump halfway there and then I'm going to slowly go up. Or you're like, I feel fantastic. I'm way leaner, but I would like some more flexibility in my diet. Okay, we're going to literally inch up like 5% calories per week, which is next to nothing. But you're just going like, oh, right, add, add less 10. than 100. Could be. It depends on the, the diet, right? Mm. But like, let's say we're add, adding 10 grams carbs. That's 40 calories. That's mm. really not much, right? For for somebody who has daily. a bigger intake than maybe 15 or 20, like we, daily, but like it's on a weekly basis, right? Um, so 
this week our new macros are 210 instead of 200 okay. every day, right? And then in one to two weeks, we're going to go to 220, like just a small bump up. That's a very slow reverse diet, which the recovery diet uh, argues against because it's so slow that your, your metabolism, your hormones, they don't adapt quick enough and get you out of deficit because you're just kind of prolonging the deficit until you finally get to maintenance. So if you've dieted for 16 weeks and you're in a shitty place health-wise and then you reverse diet for eight weeks, you've just dieted for 24 weeks. Yeah. And then you're finally at a healthy place, right? And that just make it exacerbates the, the negative adaptations you were having. But if somebody diets for 16 weeks and they're healthy, they didn't get so lean that their thyroid is crushed, their period stops, or their testosterone tanks as a male, losing muscle, anything like that. Let's just inch up. I'd rather you're healthy, so let's inch up Bend. and keep you lean. So yeah. it, it depends on the person. But most people we work with, there's nothing wrong with reverse dieting them because they're they're gem pop. They're not getting so shredded um, unless they came to us with a pre-existing hormonal issue. There's no reason. And even in those circumstances, I usually do an initial big jump and then I inch up slowly. Um, but I think that answers the question. I mean, like you, you're going to know your north star and you're going to work up to that. And and the the less severe your biofeedback is from a negative like the less severe negatively impacted it is the slower you can take that reverse diet process to stay lean because you don't have to worry about you know maintaining health because your health is fine yeah or recovering health i should say is there a reason to slowly reverse to maintenance if you roughly know your maintenance calories yeah absolutely hey do you want quick easy and fast fat loss so fast that it'll happen in 30 days and maybe all you have to do is take a pill well you're shit out of luck because it's not going to happen. It takes hard work and patience, which is one of the reasons why I love Legion Supplements. They are open and honest about their marketing. And on the front page, they tell you that supplements don't overrule training and nutrition, but they do supplement a good diet and a good training program. So if your training's dialed in, your nutrition is on point, and you want to get that upper edge and take things to the next level to get the best results possible for your body and performance, check out Legion and save 20% today by heading to buylegion.com slash boom boom. Now, let's get back to the episode. Uh, we got next one here. Shan Sherger. Uh, Sherger. After a night shift, I can only sleep for about four to five hours, but I still like to get a workout in. Do you have any suggestions for sleep recovery and getting the most I can out of workouts when I feel low energy of drained? That's Anyway. So they work night shifts. Yep. And... So this is hard too, because what I would ask you is how, how like wh- how many shifts do you work a week? You know, are you working a daily night shift or are you working like swing shift where you work night shifts every other week? Like you know what I mean? There's so many different um, scenarios, and this is where this is where it's hard too, because like when directly coaching people, it changes often because we've worked with cops where it's like they work uh, they're working nights. Next month they're working days. Yeah, which I hate that they do that. It makes yeah. no sense to me. Like you got to be alert. Yeah. So stick to a sleep schedule, yeah. right? I, I mean, obviously, nothing I'm going to say is going to change the way it's yeah, done. Yeah, but, yeah. like, it's it's so hard on their body yeah. to switch, right? If they get used to nights, it's not great for them. Eventually, they'll get more used to it, and it won't be as bad. And at least they can adjust energy and stuff, and you can adjust their training nutrition. But then just to flip it right back, it's like, fuck. Horrible. It takes a lot of time just to get used to it. Yeah. So, like, that's, that's brutal. But um, I will say, uh, when I was working at Boeing, when I first got hired mm-hmm. – um, for the training process, like for at least in the IT networking there, you do different tasks and different things within networking on different shifts because not a lot of people work graveyards. So we do, we take down the network and all that stuff. But anyway, 
Well, during the training process, they had they started you on swing, which was 3 p.m. to midnight, and then and you did that for two weeks, and then you did graveyard, which is midnight to seven, and then two weeks later you go to days and you do that for two weeks, and then they say, all right, you're going to be on this, but uh, that that six weeks, oh, it's brutal. Oh my god, I can't imagine. I was falling asleep like just random times, just like oh yeah, especially because it probably takes a few weeks just to get used to it. Absolutely, you and don't. Then you finally adjust, yeah, <laughs> or then you switch it again, yeah. Um, so yeah, it depends, you know, I think that like the thing I would say is like when I work with like nurses and they work like three tens or mm-hmm. four tens, whatever, usually it's like, Hey, you're not training those days and we're going to train the days that you don't work. Yeah. And it's just like, you get three rest days in a row and then you have four training days in a row or, or vice versa. You know what I mean? It's, you got to be able to work with what you do because at the end of the day, if five days a week is most optimal for building muscle and losing fat and stuff like that, but you work a swing shift and that just puts you deeper into the hole. Five days is not most optimal. Yeah. Three days is most optimal because you can only, uh, you can only adapt from what you can recover from. Right. So I'm not going to give you more than what you can adapt to and recover from based on your work schedule. So, um, number one, probably wouldn't train on those days. Uh, you know, but here's the thing too, is like, as somebody who does have days where I only get five hours of sleep and until I got my aura ring, uh, I was probably just living on five hours of sleep, to be honest with you. Even when I, like, I would get in bed and I would like be in bed for six hours. So I'm like, I'm getting six hours of sleep. It's like, no, you're not sleeping. Like you're getting four and a half hours. Um, so I got my aura ring. I was like, okay, I'm gonna lay in bed for seven hours. And then it was like, okay, you're getting five and a half. And then now that I'm improving my sleep habits, I'm starting to get six. So I don't get as much sleep as I needed as I do need, but there's actually no direct studies showing like muscle growth will be inhibited because not that it won't, I think it will, but they just don't have any good research on it. They have a couple on athletes, but there's also a lot of, I mean, you got to think about pro athletes. There's tons of pro athletes that don't get shit for sleep because they're training all the time. They're traveling, they're doing shit like they're freaks. So it's not going to completely inhibit you. The thing that's going to inhibit you is the stress. So if you're too stressed and athletes are good at de-stressing, they're good at chilling right? Because when they're not playing or training, they're playing video games, they're kicking it and recovering. So double down on recovery, double down on quote unquote chilling, because I mean, I told you about that study with the athletes where they had uh, one group got to like watch Netflix at night and just hang out. And then one group didn't. And it was the same amount of sleep, same amount of training. And the ones with Netflix had better recovery because it was putting them into parasympathetic mode. They took their mind off work and off of training and off of things. So um, find ways to chill out, to relax better. Um, you might want to look at, we've done a podcast and, uh, just a podcast on it, but I linked some other stuff in the podcast, but on chrono nutrition. And that's the idea of matching your diet and your meal frequency up with your circadian rhythm. So you might want to try that. So if you work night shifts, it, it might be a case of like when you do wake up or in your case, oh yeah, that's going to be tough when it's flipped. Um, but basically your, your first meal of the day is your largest meal of the day is kind of the, the way it works. Um, and you might have to manipulate that for your work schedule. Um, sometimes, uh, some intermittent fasting can even work well if you, if you tweak the intermittent fasting to match your work schedule. But, um, at the end of the day, you got to match your meal timing with your, your work. You got to, uh, double down on recovery and rest days. You can supplement with some stuff to help with cortisol and stress management, like ashwagandha and things like that. But at the end of the day, there's nothing crazy that you can do. It's just like making sure you're not doing too much. A lot of times people try to find a hack that allows them to do what's quote unquote optimal for the average person in order to get results. But the reality is, is your job doesn't allow you to be that average person, which is fine. It's not a bad thing, 
but don't base your schedule, your training, your nutrition, your goals, your routine off of somebody who works a completely different and easier shift. Just not going to happen. So just match it to your lifestyle. That's the whole point of individualized nutrition and training. And, and you do that, you're going to be able to recover well enough, manage stress, and that's ultimately going to going to get you to the result you want to get to. Yeah, I think that's just the reality of it. Yeah. yeah. So a lot of times people answer that question. I've heard other podcasts and they, they're like, well, best thing you can do is get a new job. And then they kind of like laugh and they're like, there's not much else you can do. And they'll answer the next question. And I'm like, although I agree with you, like there's better job, like job schedules. You can't just tell somebody, get a different job. Yeah. Like to, that's, the, <laughs> to the extent, there's always some way, shape or form to at least helps any situation. Any situation. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Like it's not optimal. Yeah. I'm not going to bullshit you, but there's things you can do. And one of the things is just doing less yeah. and being okay with that. All right. So the next question is going to come from the average Doug says, what would be the strategy or uh, benefit of pre-fatiguing muscle groups before ca- uh, compound lifts? Mm. This, this used to be like really, really way more common. Um, it, I think it just got to a point where they actually, I think they started actually doing research on it and realized that it's just not that great. So uh, for those listening who don't know what a pre-fatigue is, uh, I mean, it's, it's literally pre-fatiguing the muscle before you train the muscle, which it's kind of like, I mean, at the end of the day, when they realize, you've heard me say this a million times, volume is the most important factor, right? If we usually, when we have all these different training methods and tools and things, if volume is equated at the end of the week, it doesn't matter. You know what I mean? The problem is, is if I pre-fatigue, let's say my chest, so a popular one is you go to the pec deck machine and you do flies and you just pump your chest up with blood and then you go over to the bench press and bench. If I do that versus, and for the same reps on both, so I do three sets of 15, let's say on the flies and then four sets of eight on the bench. Or I do four sets of eight on the bench and then I do three sets of 15 on the pec deck flies. The difference is going to be that although the sets and reps are the same, the load used is most likely going to be less on the pre-fatigue set because if I fatigue my chest and then I go over to the bench press, I'm not likely to do as much as I possibly can. I probably won't be able to lift as much for eight reps because now my chest is tired. Literally, it's fatigued. Um, And if I did it the reverse, I'd probably bench a little bit heavier. And when you go into the pec deck after doing bench, yeah, it's going to be – more difficult, but you're probably going to be able to do the same amount of weight. And even if you weren't, the the relativeness of that load is just, it's lessened because you can bench way more weight than you can pec deck fly. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's just, it's not going to translate the same. So what ends up happening is by not pre-fatiguing, I actually end up doing more total volume technically if we look at sets times reps times load. Comes out to be the same. Comes out to be more if mm. I don't pre-fatigue. Okay, yeah. Right? Even though my sets and reps were the same, the load used and that is going to lead to total tonnage. So a lot of times it's not as beneficial. Um, the other thing is they started doing studies where they would go like, okay, I'm going to do pec decks before bench. And uh, when they go to do the bench, their triceps and delts were more active, mm. which makes sense. Your chest is tired. So your secondary muscles are going to fire a little bit more, which means number one, you might not do as much volume and total load, or maybe you do, but it's indirected to the, it's directed to a different muscle. So you're not directly targeting what you want to target it's like uh when you're if you're trapped like you just blast your traps or you try to do too heavy of dumbbell curls you end up shrugging the dumbbells a lot when you're doing curls and you're just training your traps a ton instead of curling right or if i'm swinging back now i'm using my spinal erectors to lean back and get the dumbbell up whereas if i just did strict curls when they weren't fatigued i'd be able to get more biceps so um the purpose quote unquote of pre-fatiguing was to bring more blood flow 
uh, in, uh, I mean, essentially uh, vasodilation. So just create a bigger pump and hydration, oxygen, blood into the muscle and then train it. And the thought was if there's more blood present, there's more tension and that'll lead to more growth. What we realize is tension less uh, matters less than volume. So although tension is good because then you know you're directing the adaptation of what you're trying to do, it doesn't overrule the key point of principle of volume yeah. total. So um, there's not a real good point. Pre-fatiguing to me done more intelligently is done by pre-fatiguing muscles that support joints more effectively for the compound lift. So example of this is pre-fatiguing your hamstrings before you do a squat. The squat is quad dominant. So you're not pre-fatiguing your hamstrings so that you can hit more hamstrings during your squat. Yeah. You're pre-fatiguing your hamstrings so that you're hitting your quads more on the squat because your hamstrings are tired. So now you go to squat, you're more quad dominant. And there's no study on this, but I mean, ask any strength coach that has experience. When you, when you do a bunch of leg curls before, the blood flow in your hamstrings and the, 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 the hydration lubrication around your knees, you just feel better. You can squat deeper. Your knees don't hurt as much, create more tension. You just have a better squat. Yeah. So you're pre-fatiguing just to benefit the movement and directly target the muscle you want. Another example would be doing rows or face pulls before a bench press or overhead press. Those muscles have nothing to do, like, I mean, I shouldn't say nothing. Those muscles aren't the, the muscles you're trying to direct tension to when you're doing a bench press. Mm. Your chest is. But by doing face pulls and rows, your back gets fired up, your scap's more supported, and you have more stability, and then you can bench press better. Um, Just doing that, like, primer. Exactly. Yeah. And that's why we call it primer rather than a pre-fatigue. Totally. Um, or an activation, you know, like, because uh, pre-fatiguing is usually the same muscle. Mm. Um, the only other time I could say, like, it, a pre-fatigue would be beneficial is if, you're doing a pre-fatigue with uh, a very, very low RPE. So you're not actually fatiguing it. Again, you're kind of just activating it, but it's because you're, you have trouble firing the right muscles. Mm. So if you have trouble feeling your chest when you bench press, doing a superset of like face pulls or lat pull down, something to get your, your scap healthy and, uh, and a set of flies, but you're leaving like seven in the tank. So like you don't even get close to failure. So you're not fatiguing your muscle. You're just like waking it up. You're like, okay, now it's there. Now you go into a bench, your gap is better because you did the rows and your chest is a little bit more fired up and you can do them and it's not going to uh, dampen your performance. That I think is a benefit because some people will do bench and all they feel is their, their delts because they're right here, mm. right? But when I do heavy bench, my chest is lit up because I know how to fire my chest during the bench, which takes practice. So sometimes that may help. Um, but again, it's not really pre-fatiguing, it's activating, you know? So I don't, I don't know. I don't think it's... Um, there's some people that still believe it, but to me, until there's research truly showing that pre-fatiguing can benefit overall hypertrophy in a long-term study, so at least eight weeks, I don't see the use. I think you're just fatiguing a muscle and basically dampening your ability to use it maximally and perform well. Or And that would be for the compound lift. Exactly. Totally. Yeah, so if you did a bunch of leg extensions before you squat. Yeah. Sometimes it's fun. I mean, you squat and your quads are on fire. It's kind of like... It's like we were doing something, and I didn't do pre-fatigues at the end of a workout, but we were doing curls, and the pump was so bad, I couldn't bend my elbow all the way. Like, I was just so fatigued. We were going to failure. I started laughing, and then you really can't finish an exercise because yeah. I'm just cracking up because I'm like, like, the weight's not heavy, but I can't get past this, like, 90-degree totally. angle, and I'm, like, swinging, and we're, like, laughing and shit. Sometimes that stuff's fun. That's probably not the most productive way to train, but it was fun. Yeah. You know what I mean? So sometimes doing shit like that's cool. Um, I've done... Uh, Back squat supersetted with sled pulls. The Say that one more time. Back squat supersetted with sled pulls. Oh, you, you know when you do backwards sled pull and your quads are just yes. full. 
was the stupidest superset I've ever done. It was for fun. It, it was a good time. So I definitely fun. wasn't squatting very heavy. <laughs> yeah. Because my quads were just fucking torched. But you got to do that shit. It's gotcha. fun. So, yeah, I don't, I don't know. That's, that's the, the theory, but uh, it's not really well backed up by science. Cool. All right. Um, we'll go. The next one comes from Vicky Janes. Uh, recommendation for training for an individual who now suffers from balance issues after getting a co- cohicular implant. I think that's from the, around the ear. Good job. Co- yeah. I don't know how to pronounce it. Man, me either. I had to Google it. I had no I idea took, what that was. I took ASL in high school, but oh, that there was you go. way long time ago. Yeah. They find that they can only train sitting down. If they stand, they tend to fall. Any recommendations for training an individual who now suffers from balance so, issues? I can't really speak on this because I'm, that's just beyond my expertise. I'm not mm-hmm. going to bullshit you and try to come up with something. Um, but I did want to keep it on here to give a, just a couple of thoughts to get you to try to work in a certain direction. So number one, um, my my stepmom has both ears done. And cochlear. Is that how you say it? Yes. Yeah, so she has both of them done. She was born uh, almost completely deaf. Mm-hmm. Um, and... She has no issue training. She did CrossFit. Like, she's fine. So, it's not like well, – the reason I'm saying that is because, one, this could be very individual. And, two, it could be something completely different, right? They could have just – they could be associating it with that. Mm-hmm. But I've also met a lot of people that run into that situation because they get vertigo yes. very often. Yes. So, are those creating vertigo? I don't know. Maybe. I, I wouldn't know because yeah. I don't, it's not my expertise. Is something else creating vertigo? Maybe. Either way, you should look into vertigo, how to help with that, and maybe uh, talk to their doctor about, is that normal, yeah. right? Because if they're like, is that, it, that's not normal. Because to me, it's like, you're telling me that that person never gets up quickly or gets up holding something and always has that issue? Like, I would doubt that. And part of it is like, okay, is it just under load? Okay, well, it's an adaptation thing. Totally. So. Doing an RDL, single leg RDL, start with body weight, then do five pounds, then do 10 pounds, then do 20 pounds and like slowly work up in weight over time. They will adapt because even I, I would never know because I haven't, I've never asked her this, but maybe my stepmom dealt with that for a while, but she just stayed consistent and slowly progressed. I, I mean, I taught her what progressive overload was. Maybe it got better over time because she got more used to it. The body adapted, her, her head adapted, everything got better and now it's not even a big deal, you know? Totally. Um, so I would, I would say that like the people I've worked with that have gotten vertigo at the gym were, were like, I mean, we're deadlifting two, three, 400 pounds. Like we're doing max effort lifts and that's when they get it. They don't get it unless they're going super, super heavy or they're super exhausted or their nutrition is all fucked up. Yeah. Um, or they just got done traveling or something like that. So it could be something unrelated to the ears, but, uh, it could be related to the ears and it might just be something you need to figure out a way to work around. I yeah. talked to the, talk to the doctor, the ear specialist though. Yeah. Again, I'm no expert either, but my mom has a disease called Meniere's disease. You heard of it? No. Yeah. So, um, Meniere's disease is an inner ear condition that causes vertigo, a specific type of dizziness in which you feel as though you are spinning. Whoa. So it's just... That's what vertical is. It just randomly hits her? Yeah. Oh, well. But not, she's had two or three surgeries. It's like a lick, like something, I, I, I don't know. But I believe, if I'm not wrong, it's like a, 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 a liquid or something in the ear or something's wrong in the ear. Well, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. But yeah, she's had two or three surgeries. Finally, like, and it's been years, but she had two or three or four. And the last one was finally successful. But when I was a kid, dude, she'd be driving and spin and have to pull over and puke and just, oh, or she'd be out, she'd be watering the uh, flowers and stuff. Yeah. I just find her on the 
on the pathway up to the front store just puking her brains out. Oh, my God. And I was like, and I was young, dude. I didn't yeah. know what was going on. But anyway, that's called Meniere's disease. Yeah. yeah, so, I mean, it could be. It could be a plethora of things. Yeah, but yeah. that's talk to your doctor. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, talk to the specialist because they're going to be the ones that will tell you if that's normal or not. Yeah. My guess is it would be vertigo. Definitely. Yeah. So. W- what that vertigo is caused yeah. by. I've never had vertigo, so I don't, I don't think I've ever well. had vertigo. At least that, uh, that I'm aware of. Yeah. Maybe small degrees of it. And it's you just never not. had the spins? <laughs> oh, definitely, yeah. It's vertigo. Um, <laughs> but uh, I've never s- had vertigo while sober. Touche. You know, so I, I don't know if it's, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if that has anything with spatial awareness. Like, maybe that's well, the only thing I could think of that the ears, if there's like, if those are the frequency isn't tuned properly or being under load and it creates pressure and those maybe influence that mm. and then you have un- like, uh, a, a disoriented spatial awareness and that causes it. Who knows? It's an imbalance of equilibrium. Bingo. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you can get it when like this is an extreme, but if you go deep sea fishing, yeah. you can get it from being out in the sea. Yeah. You know, that's vertigo. Yeah. It, there's a lot of, yeah. Sounds horrible. Yeah. It, oh, it's not. It is horrible. Yeah. Anyway. All right. Um, good question. Um, next one comes from Vicky. No, it does not. That was Vicky Jans. And next one comes from uh, Angie Evans. All right, so it's a little context here. I have been following your workout posts and listening to your podcast, and I love them. They are really informative. All right. Uh, I am 5'3 and weigh 97 pounds. I am slightly underweight currently and eating 1575 calories in a reverse diet, adding 75 calories per week. With five-time week strength training and 15 minutes of elliptical per day. I'm keeping my total steps at 10,000 every day. Is this okay or should I lower them even more? Lower what? Steps? I think so. I am eating uh, 1.25 to 1.3 grams of protein per pound. Is is that too high? 0.4 grams of fat per pound and the remaining, I believe, calories and carbs. Um. Okay, generically speaking, 1.2 to 1.3 grams is safe mm-hmm. for protein. Not always necessary. How much did she say her weight was? Well, 97 at 5'3". 97 pounds? Mm-hmm. 1.2 to 1.3 is totally fine. Yeah. That's, uh, you're going to be totally fine with that. Uh, 0.4 is fine, but I'd probably bring it up a little bit if I can for fats just because you're really light. Um, I will go as low as 0.3 with some people, but it's because they have more body mass. When women start getting close to the hundred pound mark or less, that's when I like my calculations are all disoriented. It's just because even 0.4 of that is like 35 to 40 grams at most. And that's pretty damn low. Yeah. Um, technically from a hormonal perspective, you'll be fine, but flexibility wise, it's just fucking tough. I've done a diet on 40 grams of fat and I was fine. It was like, I had enough calories and carbs and I ate the right types of fats. I didn't have hormonal issues because of it. At least it's not like I get my blood work done that much, but I didn't feel any significant effects from it. But from a flexibility perspective, it's like, damn, I just want a fucking steak, yeah. right? Steak's not unhealthy, but yeah. it's really hard to fit steak and whole eggs and any type of oil or avocado, all these really good fats for us when you only have 35 to 40 grams of fat. It's fucking impossible, basically. You just reach it so quickly. Yeah, it's yeah. just like, I mean, yeah. So uh, I would I would probably bump that up a little bit. Remaining carbs, that's fine. Um, you're really, really light. And based on your height, I mean, you're five, five. So you're only four to five inches shorter than me. Didn't she say five, five, uh, five, seven. Oh, she's oh, five, no, five, three. Oh, five, three. Five, okay. Three. Yeah. Um, so you, but you're still pretty light. You know, that's, that's, uh, I mean, around a hundred pounds is fine, but that's pretty lean. 
I mean, that's going to be lean for most people. Although I've never seen you. I don't know your muscle mass. I don't know any of that. So I can't say for sure, obviously. But uh, typically, anyone between 5 foot to 5'5", five five, anywhere between that 100 to 125 pound mark is usually a pretty lean individual. Totally. Um, and, and because of that, I would say, like, you should probably, like, drop your cardio. Like, I mean, your step count. You said 10K step. Like, that's fine. Keep your mm-hmm. steps the where they are. That's healthy. That's active. You're probably taking walks. If you enjoy the walks, keep them going. 15 minutes elliptical per day pointless one it's it's just adding more activity and taxing you and 15 minutes isn't going to be that great of a caloric expenditure that it's worth even keeping so take those out whether you do it immediately or slowly doesn't matter just just eventually or or very soon get them gone and just do strength training yeah just eat do strength training get your steps in you're already lean enough i would reverse diet you to a point where you feel good and you have more more calories in your diet um Period. I think it sounds from just from the stats perspective, I think it's time to reverse diet and get you to a place where you're eating more food and just trying to build muscle. Gradually. Um, and that is guaranteed to happen because I think she said she's in the tailor trainer, right? I mean, uh, I've been following your workout posts and listening uh, to your podcast. Oh, well, you should be if in the tailor trainer. Yeah. You are guaranteed to build a shit ton of muscle in the tailor trainer. I'm just playing. You can't do guarantees, but. Guaranteed. You basically are. <laughs> it's basically proven. Um, but yeah, that's, I mean, that's would be my recommendation. Anything outside of that, I really, it's too specific. I need to like actually work with you. Yep. You know what I mean? Um, we got time for one more. Yeah. Is there a good one to throw in yeah. there? Let's go. Uh, next one comes from David Francisco. Uh, it says, hey, Cody and Travis. Hey. What's up, David? Got the shout out. <laughs> could you go in depth into biofeedback for fatigue? Sure, Cody could. <laughs> I'm heard you, I heard you list what to look out for. Uh, example, sleep, willingness to train, sex drive, et cetera. But do not, uh, but, n- but not a lot on how to look at them. What specifically are the things we should look out for or behaviors or feelings we have that are signals? We are fatigued and something needs to be done. And it wouldn't hurt to hear what can be done about it besides implementing a deload. So go for it, Cody. There's a few parts here to break down. Um, I'd love to get your thoughts on tracking biofeedback <laughs> first, Travis. Um, no, like, so how to track, I think, like, there's, like, two angles with this. One, like, I'd have to literally bust out how we do it literally with clients and, like, take you through it, which I'm not going to do on a podcast. Yeah. It's just audio. But I think the easiest way to do it is is figure out a way to rank and scale them, whether it's a scale uh, ranking from 1 to 5, 1 to 10. It's, like, you can have, uh, there's ways to implement this online where you can have check boxes or sliding bars, but like you have to have a way to rank them. You're you know? saying ranking each aspect of biofeedback? Yes. Yeah. So if it's five out of five or 10 out of 10, it's like, that's good. Right. Yeah. Or a hundred percent, 80 percent. Like, what do you want to do? Different people. Use Some different way, things. shape or form. Doesn't matter. Yeah. Just ways to track it physically. Um, now what you should track hours of sleep for sure. Uh, quality of sleep. If sleep quality is an issue, uh, Stress, I would say, is, is going to be on there. Um, sometimes digestion. You can do sex mood. drive. Mood is definitely a good one. I don't usually put sex drive unless, like, I'm worried that there's a hormonal issue affecting their sex hormones. Because, I mean, it's just one of those things where I'm a nutrition coach. I don't need to ask you if, if like, you're feeling it yeah. every day. You know what I mean? Like, if you get to a point where you're dieting really hard or like, I feel like we need to stop the diet or you need to reverse, or I feel like you're under eating or there's some hormonal issues. I will just ask you, how was your sex drive? And it's either, you know, I mean, it's, it's either it's, it's normal or it's fucking great you or it's shitty. It. Yeah, yeah. You could rank it. And 
I don't need you to tell me every day. I just need you to tell me one. Like, if I ask you, just tell me. Just be real. Um, but outside of that, I think there's just basic ones. Now, if somebody has gut issues or digestive issues, gut, your, your digestion is, a, is a, a ranking of biofeedback. Quite literally, biofeedback is just things that we are ranking on a scale of 1 to 10, 1 to 5, 0 to 100%, whatever it is, that tell us whether or not your hormones, metabolism, and your physiological health is in a good state. Mm. And usually those are going to be sleep, stress, mood, cravings, hunger, performance, recovery, digestion sometimes, sex drive, anything like that, right? Um, so, you know, for me, it's usually like hunger in the morning, high or low. How many hours of sleep did you get on a scale of 1 to 10? How high was that quality, right? One being shitty, 10 being great. Um, and, you know, because there's people that sleep eight hours a night, but it takes them four hours to fall asleep. Where I'll, I'll sleep five and a half to six hours, but I, I mean, look at my O-ring. It takes me less than 10 minutes to fall asleep. When I lay down, I'm out. So I, when I sleep, I sleep, you know? So that might be, I might say I only got six hours. Somebody got nine, but we have the same amount of actual sleep. You know mm. what I mean? So you got to have both of those. Um, mood is great. I like motivation too. I think a lot of people, uh, don't put that, but what's your motivation to train and to diet and to stick to the plan? Because if you wake up and you are just like, I do not want to deal with any of this bullshit, your motivation is tanking, you do need to deload. You do need a diet break because that's a, a, a neurological sign. It's a brain signal, right? Your body and your mind are saying, I'm not motivated to do this. That is a neurological signal that you are burning out. You need to deload. Um, if stress is high, sleep is low, those things, cortisol is probably dysfunctional, which means stress is too high, especially if cravings are up as well. Um, if hunger is really high, it's not a bad thing. It just means yeah. your metabolism is working, you know? Um, if you're in a diet and you're hungry, I just want to instill willpower and figure out ways to work through it because it's not a bad signal. If you're dieting and your hunger is super low and you're just not hungry all the time and I'm looking at your calories, I'm like, how the fuck are you not hungry? That's an issue. Yeah. I mean, you're really metabolically adapting and we probably need to consider reversing soon or, or something, you know? Um, if you're at maintenance mm -hmm. and you're still hungry all the time, that's a sign that we're probably not ready for a diet yet. So, Or at maintenance. Yeah. Or are you're you? just not there yet, yeah. right? Um, so... It depends uh, on a lot of those things, but those are the main ones that I would be tracking, and, and those are the reasons why I would track them. Um, and I, th I mean, that's also the third question was how, like, how do you know what to look for? That's yeah. what you look for. You look for those signals that you're tracking, you know, and you just tell them to be honest because, you know, don't put biofeedback markers so that I give you the answer or the adjustment or whatever that you want to see because you want to get results, or you want to go this direction. Give the honest biofeedback answers so that I change the diet, adjust the plan to give you what you need. There you go. You know, and if, as long as you're honest with me, I can honestly get you the best results possible. Oh. simple. You cracked me up, bro. Why? You started that off with like, I'm not going to tell them how I break it down with our clients, but I here I go. Yeah, <laughs> but I will. <laughs> Dope, man. That's awesome. Um, so that was the last question today. Um, and I don't think there's any announcements, man. We, uh, Challenges wrapped up. Last um, week. That was awesome. Starting a new one. By the time this airs, September. everybody will know. The team doesn't know this yet, so I haven't been sharing it on Instagram or anything. I haven't show, I can show you in here a little bit. The tailored uh, life journals yeah. are fucking sick. Dope. They're so dope, dude. Um, they're so sick. I can't Put that mean. logo on there? Yeah. Sick. So sick. And then uh, they have the... Um, the prompts written in the pages. They have blank pages too, so you can have free journaling. They got the band that goes around it. Like they're dope, dude. Dope. They're legit. So I'm gonna give everybody, look, obviously one tomorrow when they get here. But uh, all the team that gets here. But I didn't. Oh, you have them. 
Uh, in my truck. They oh, came yesterday. Sick. Yeah. I think you made it like you just had a prototype on the computer. No, they came yesterday. Sick. Yeah, I'm stoked. Um, so we're going to have those for, they're not for sale. So yeah, dude, there's a lot of people in that TLC that wanted one. Yeah. You got to work with us. Yeah. That's part of being a client. So, and then there's a bunch of clients who are like, well, if I'm already a client, do I get one? Yeah. And I'm like, if you, uh, if you meet the, we have like, we have some things set up to where it's like kind of like a reward yeah. for like certain milestones. Uh, so I don't want to spill the beans yet because yeah. we're still working on the kinks, but some clients will be getting them for yeah. sure. Touche. So I'm stoked about them though. They're dope. Cool guys. Well, uh, we will talk to you on Monday. That's right. Share it with somebody. Like it. Share it with me. Send it to somebody. Post on your story. Post on your story. Do anything. Rank the podcast. Help us grow this, guys. 